Good morning, everyone. If you were here earlier, uh, you may have noted that we had a little bit of a technical glitch, and so I'm resorting to hard copy, which is okay with me. Uh, it's the way it should be, and I'm glad that we don't need wires and uh, internet and all that to speak to the Lord, that he listens to us wherever we are, uh, however we speak, and that's great. Uh, thank you to the music team and to... Uh, those who helped uh, serve the bread and uh, the cup, um, always great to see the young people get involved, and uh, we, we appreciate that. You just heard the passage that we're going to talk about this morning. Most people would say that the topic here is, it's not fair. But I suggest to you that maybe the topic is, it's an equal opportunity. And so we're going to go through this, and we're going to look at this, and I'm going to begin by asking you, how was your day? Fair? Think about it. In today's story, many would see unfairness, unjust actions, inequities amongst men, but there's another view, and that's why it's a parable. If you remember back when we started this series, and Jim gave us the definition of a parable, a couple of the things that came out of it that really intrigued me were that Although they are two parallel stories, they don't necessarily cross, but there are certain similarities to them as there are differences. But the point of it is to tease you into active thought. Those are the words that Jim gave us, to tease you into active thought about the story that's before you. Now, it obviously depends on where you are in the story, what part you play in the story, how you're seeing the story, how you're viewing it. Okay, some of us would think that this is obvious, what the answer is to this parable. But for those who choose to follow Jesus, it's his hope that we're going to see even more. And that's why he speaks in parables. Now, as the curtain opens on our passage today, we find a landowner who's seeking workers to harvest the fruits of his vineyard. He agrees with the first group for a wage for their labors and sets them to work. As the day progresses, the landowner periodically hires more laborers and agrees to compensate them with whatever is right. Upon completion of the day, he instructs his steward, or his manager, to pay them all equally, beginning with the last hired, progressing to the first. That in itself is a little bit strange. As payment is handed out, though, it becomes obvious that not everybody is satisfied with what they receive. In the end, the landowner sends it to gruntled disgruntled people on their way, as is his right. So when we go to the next slide, I want you to uh, notice that there are some words that are underlined, and I'd like you to just sort of take those and put them in the back of your mind as we're going along, because these are words I want you to think about. These are words that might tease you into thinking differently than when you first heard the story. Kingdom of heaven, landowner, laborers, for example. In the first two verses, we are introduced to the concept of a parable and the characters in the story. The kingdom of heaven is like. It's not the same, but it's like. We're invited to think that, what if? Could there be another way to look at this story? Could Jesus want me to see something else that is here? That's the mystery of a parable. And we've been studying that for a number of months now, and we're going to continue to study it. And there are reasons why Jesus spoke in parables. But this is what we're supposed to uh, get out of it. This is the attitude we're supposed to have when we hear these things. So when we're invited to think on at least two views. It could be the view of earth 
versus heaven, or perhaps man versus man, as opposed to man versus God. Those are two levels, but there's also two levels in the characters themselves. The characters are those who have and those who have not. The landowner, for example, has everything. Being a landowner or being a master, as was in the version that Angie read, implies that there is wealth, that you have the power to make decisions. You are in a position over others. You dictate to them. They do not dictate to you. You have the ability to do as you please. That's pretty powerful. A wise landowner will provide for all those who labor for him so that he doesn't lose any. He doesn't want to have a reduced labor force. He doesn't want to experience a shortage when it comes time for the harvest. It also maintains his reputation with those who are looking to work for him and to compare him to other labor, other uh, landowners around him, he will be able to get the best when he needs them. Conversely, the laborers have nothing but what they can offer in the way of skill to the landowner. Being a laborer implies one who performs a duty or a skill or a task at the bequest of another, he has to answer to that other individual. And in return for his efforts, he is compensated. Clearly, there are two levels here, each corresponding obligations and responsibilities to the other. So it's not just one-sided. It's not just that the laborer has to do all of these things. The landowner has to do some things too, and we're going to look at that a little bit. Now, right at this point, we're only in the second verse, and you'll notice that an agreement has been reached. There's a mutual understanding for the terms and conditions between the landowner and the laborer. Subsequently, the laborer goes to work for the landowner. So in the next slide, as we go through verses 3 to 7, we find out that he goes out and he hires others again and again. And he doesn't say that he's going to pay them a denarius or he's going to pay them a daily wage. He's going to pay them whatever is right I will give you. That's his right. He's the landowner. He sets the wages. He sets the standard. Keep in mind that the picture that we have here now has those two levels. There is no middle class in that day and age as there is today. You were a landowner or you were a laborer. Laborers probably made up 80 or 90% of the populations in these regions. Not very many people own things. And if you own things, you were rich. You had power. You were to be envied. If you were a landowner, you were rich and stable in your everyday life. You possessed many things like land, money, servants, power, position, just to name a few. That's control over a lot of things. But for the remainder of the people, it took their total focus each and every day just to survive. Just to raise enough money so that they could purchase food, clothing, goods for their family, things that they needed. If employment wasn't available, you went without for that day. It was a very fragile and dark existence. Just think about it. If you don't go out and do some work today, you have nothing for supper. 
You have to wait until tomorrow. You have to wait till somebody hires you. If nobody hires you tomorrow, you go for out without again. Pretty sad state of affairs. So when you put it in context of the laborers, it's a today thing. It's a now thing. I need it now. I've got to have something now. Their focus is totally on themselves. It's hard for them to look past themselves. It's hard for them to look past what is being offered to them because it's a current need. It's going to provide them and their family with sustenance for this day. It implies that they're going to be able to at least exist for another day. They don't have a lot of say in this. What more could they ask for, though? They're being given a wage. So as we go to the next few verses, 8 to 12, we see that he decides to pay his laborers at the end of the day. That when the day is done, they're going to receive their reward, their wage, their compensation for their efforts. But in their mind, the terms and conditions have changed. Originally, the people who were hired first agreed to a denarius for the day's wage. And a denarius was the equivalent of a day's wage and would give them what they needed for that day. It would allow them to buy food and uh, to put a little bit of money aside for clothing and whatever else they may need. It was pretty adequate. But to think that people who had only been there for an hour got the same wage as people who had been there all day irked most of the people. They grumbled and complained to the landowner and asked for more. This is the point where we would say it's unfair, it's not right, it's not just, it's not equal. Why do they get more than me? You're worried about what your neighbor is getting, whereas three minutes ago you were worried about what you get. How things change, how greed jumps out. It's a limited way of looking at things to think that they're not treated fairly. But at that particular point in time, that's all they see. Now keep in mind that this is a parable and we're challenged to see other possibilities, other options. So there are some other issues that we want to consider. As we go to verses 13 to 16, in response to the grumbling, the landowner answers them by stating that in his mind he has done no wrong. So viewing it from the landowner's position, he feels that he's done right to all the people who have worked for him. There's nothing unlawful about what he did. They can't take him before the, uh, before the authorities and challenge him that way. He can do as he chooses because they are his goods. They are his monies, his compensation for the laborers. His decision was made and he's not going to change his mind. Those who are disgruntled take their wages and leave. He doesn't want to deal with them anymore. So how do you feel? Do you feel that he did wrong? Do you feel that he was unjust, unlawful in the way he treated his laborers? When we go to the next slide, this is what we feel. It's not fair, but it might be equitable. Think about it from another viewpoint. 
It depends on whether you're seeing it from the have or the have not position. Are you looking directly at the situation in front of you? Or are you looking at it from some point back here, up here with the landowner? Looking at the landowner and the laborer? Or looking just at the landowner? How are you viewing this? To say that the situation is not fair, that you've been mistreated or dealt with unjustly, implies that you are owed something when compared to someone else. Are they owed something compared to somebody else? Ask that question. It implies a form of favoritism. The person that only worked one hour and got the same wages as the person that worked eight or ten or twelve hours, was he treated equally? Was he treated fairly? Had they not received what the landowner promised? He promised them a wage. He promised them whatever was right. But he didn't say whatever was right in your eyes. He implied whatever was right in my eyes as the landowner, I will pay you. Now, they inferred that that meant something in comparison to the Daenerys that those who worked the whole day would get, that they would get slightly less or considerably less because they worked less. But that's not the way the landowner saw it. What if the landowner had not come along and hired them? What if he had stopped at the third hour? Those at the 6th and the ninth and the 11th hour had not been hired. What would have happened? They would have went hungry. Their families would have went hungry. They'd have had nothing to complain about because they weren't hired in the first place. There was no compensation. Here they had compensation. And they had agreed to it. Even to those who agreed to whatever was right because they went into the field and worked. They labored. That implies that they accepted the terms and conditions. When they were hired, there was no question of fairness. A wage was offered and was accepted, as I said. And whether a denarius or whatever was right was the way to go. The laborers signified their acceptance by going to work. There was no back and forth determination on the wage. It was simply set by the man at the top, by the landowner. He was in a position to do so, and he did that. But now all of a sudden, the laborer thinks that he might get more, that he should have got more, that his efforts were more important than the person who worked for one hour or three hours or six hours. But being one of many laborers does not convey on him the right necessarily to complain. That implies favoritism. That's the way the landowner would see it. Had he not offered them a position, they would not have received compensation. In a sense, they owed the landowner everything they had. Everything for that day's benefit that they had received. So was it wrong to pay a different amount just because the landowner didn't find them until much later? Perhaps that's the reason why. Had they been there first thing in the morning... They would have worked 12 hours like everybody else. So should the landowner penalize them for being late, so to speak? 
even though he didn't see them on the street until 11 hours later? What could they have bought with one-twelfth of a denarius? Would they have got enough food to feed themselves, to feed their family, to perhaps buy a piece of clothing that they desperately needed? It's hard to say. Let's just turn it around a little bit now. And keep in mind that we're at the earthly level. We're not looking somewhere else. We're looking at the landowner and we're looking at the laborer. And we're not looking at people who are following Christ. We're not looking at people who are following the Roman Empire. We're not looking at anything like that at all. We're simply looking at a landowner who is looking for laborers. Two factions. Look at it from the landowner's viewpoint. And these things may or may not be right. But they are questions that came to my mind. It wouldn't be uncommon for the landowner to need more workers at harvest time. Because harvest time is really a time with a limited window. You have to collect your harvest, but your harvest will rot very quickly. It will fall to the ground very quickly. It will become overripe very quickly if you do not pick it, if you do not collect it. There can be damage to the crop from weather. Animals and birds feed on your crop. Anybody who has collected choke cherries, for example, if you don't get them in the first couple of days, they're not there on day three because the birds have ate them. So you have to collect it when it's ready. Usually, the first harvest is the one that brings in the most money. Because it is a new crop, it is a new offering that people have not had for quite some time. So when the new crop of apples come out, everybody's anxious to get them. As other apples are collected by other landowners, it's not such a novelty anymore. Everybody's got apples. So he gets the highest price if he can collect them quickly and get them out to market. Keep in mind also that the landowner has to have the money to pay the wages before he even collects the harvest. So he hires you for one hour, 12 hours, whatever it happens to be, and he pays you a wage. He has to have that wage. He hasn't even got the harvest yet. He hasn't sold it yet. It's not sitting. The money is not sitting in his bank account. It's a future piece of wealth for him. So there's a little bit of anxiety here for the landowner. The landowner is not sitting back free without any worries at all. He has to consider who is before him. If he doesn't hire right and he doesn't hire enough workers, he doesn't get the harvest. He has to take opportunity of this time that is before him, this limited window. And it's a great time of opportunity for the laborers because there are many jobs to be had, much compensation to be there. You know, when we look at things from a different standpoint again, it's all a matter of viewpoint. When we look at the next slide, there is a reading from Psalm 50, verses 9 to 15. And it says that, 
I will not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all of the birds of the fields and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't, I would not tell you for the world is mine in all its fullness. That's the way the landowner feels that he doesn't have to answer to the laborers. He feels that he knows what's best. He's supplying everything. He should be able to reap the harvest as he sees fit. But he's not reaping the harvest only for himself. He's reaping it for the laborers as well. I read a a recent uh, piece in the New York Times by Jay Leno, who is a comedian. I think you all know him. He said recently that a friend of mine who is 69 runs three miles a day, eats kale salad, and then one day he has a stroke. Meanwhile, I'm sitting at home eating pizza and watching television. He looks at me and I agree. He yells at me, it's not fair. Life isn't fair. And Jay Leno says, I understand that. But a stroke is akin to looking the wrong way when you're stepping off the curb and getting hit by a car. Think about that. The parable that we're looking at today sort of reflects those comments by Mr. Leno. Life is not fair, but perhaps we're looking at it the wrong way. When I said at first that this is about equal opportunity, maybe it is. The conundrum, the strangeness of this parable is that the correct actions are subject to where you sit or stand as a character in the story. We followed this story from a level that is earthly, and we experience it in this world almost every day. We're always worried about what our neighbor has. We're always worried about what our older brother got, our older sister got. You know, when, when the allowance is handed out, why did he get $2 and I only got 50 cents? Or whatever it happens to be. I know that's that ages me probably a lot. It's, it's more than I understand. Why didn't he get a cell phone and I got a laptop? I don't know. But... I understand that. But this world does that all the time. We're so worried about what's in it for us. If the fellow next door buys a four-wheeler, i got to have a four-wheeler, but it's got to be a little bit bigger than his. If he buys a trailer, I buy a trailer. And I park it at the nicest lake I can find so that I'm one up from him. And on and on it goes. That's the way the world is. We're so full of pride. We're so full of envy and hurt when we don't get what we think we deserve. But look at it from the viewpoint of Jesus now. Jesus is the one that's telling this story. What does he want us to see? What if the landowner was God and we were the laborers? Psalm 50 reflects on his immense power. The fact that he is our creator speaks of God, the landowner, who is all-powerful, above all, above question, above question. Even more than a landowner, our Lord is above reproach. All we have is from him. We would all acknowledge that. All we have is from him. We are his creation. He can do with it as he wills.
as we go to the next slide, we see the next three verses in uh, that psalm. And it talks about offering to God thanksgiving and paying your vows to the Most High. If you call upon Him in the day of trouble, He will deliver you and you shall glorify Him. It's all about the landowner. We're supposed to simply humble ourselves before the Creator, pay our vows, so to speak. We're to glorify Him. And in return, He will protect and provide for you. He will deliver us from this unlife, I call it. We're all dead to life. We need a rebirth. And we've received a rebirth, some of us. And we are so thankful for that. But you only have that rebirth because He allowed it. He chose to send His Son to earth to die on the cross for you, for me, so that we might have that rebirth. Things of this earth don't last very long. We've heard that many, many times. And I was thinking about that as I looked through some photographs this week. I have a picture at home of myself and my mother and my son standing at a headstone in Calabogie, Ontario. The headstone is of my great-grandfather. He was born in 1857. I asked myself, what do I know about him? What legacy has he left? Who was his father? Who was his mother? Were they even from Canada? Where did they come from? Were they troublemakers? Were they good people? Did they know the Lord? Their lives mean nothing to the majority of this world, if not all of this world. They've gone back to dust. Is that what you want? Because that's not not what's offered here. Our very life is a gift from God. Think of that. We are the sheep. We're the laborer. God is certainly the landowner, the shepherd in all and every situation. Do you think that those laborers that day could have imagined God as the landowner? Were they thinking about that? I don't think so. I doubt it. If they were, would they have been so bold as to ask God for more? Could you? You know, as a landowner, Jesus asks us to examine how we need to relate. I'm not sure what the answer is to that. As a landowner, who are we when it comes to the laborers? And as laborers, who are we to question the authority of the landowner? Who are we to question the authority of God? We can grumble. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Lord doesn't mind when we grumble. But he wants us to be obedient and he wants us to see both sides of the story. As we go to the next slide, Isaiah 40, 25 and 26 says, To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. How can you possibly question God? And that's sort of what's coming across in this story. 
How can the laborers possibly question the landowner who provides them with their every need? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. If the landowner had paid the first three or four people that came, ten denaries for their day's labor, he wouldn't have had enough money to hire the people in the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour. What would have happened? They would have been lost. They would have went without food. Maybe they would have died. Maybe they would have rebelled and killed each other. Who knows? But God does not want to miss one of you. Not one is missing, it says here in Isaiah 40. The landowner says, in response to the grumbling, Can I not do what I want with my own things? And when you question God, you question his ability to deal with these things. God has a plan. God has a will. But not only that, God has all the resources he needs to fulfill that plan, to fulfill that will. We don't. So you need to watch what you ask for. Who else could you go to who would have more ability, more power than the Lord? You know, in the end, as laborers, we're totally reliant on the landowner. But you know something? Those laborers who thought that they were not being treated equal, who on one hand wanted to earn as much as they could, as long as it was at least equal or better to the person beside them, that's not the attitude of God. That's not the attitude of Christ. When Christ came to earth, he never spent his time with the people that were up here. Landowners were not too important to him. Rulers were not too important to him. Scholars were not too important to him. What does he tell you? Throughout the book of Matthew, and that's where we've been for the past few months, most of the parables that we've studied are in Matthew. Jesus harps over and over and over again to provide for your brother and your sister. What's the second commandment when he asked, was asked about the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't come to defeat the world with a sword. He came to save the world. And he does it one at a time. And when he says that not one is missing, that's what this is all about. He doesn't want any of you to miss the opportunity that he's offering you. It's difficult to understand why we can't see that. We have all the words in front of us. We have all the Gospels. We have the Old Testament. We have prophecies that lead into the New Testament sayings and verses that we have. And yet somehow we don't trust in the Lord. 
You know, the landowner, in a way, was showing his commitment to every sheep in his fold, in his flock. God does the same thing. There is no favor owed. There's no way that you can repay it. Because God has paid it with grace. The grace of His Son, that unmerited favor that we talked about this morning. I really like the way, too, pardon me, that the landowner speaks to one laborer. He doesn't speak to them as a group. He doesn't get into confrontation in the way that we might get into confrontation. It doesn't appear that there's any physical activity here. There's no fight or anything like that. But he's dealing one-on-one, and that's the way the Lord does. He deals one-on-one. He's not concerned about the person sitting beside you. He's concerned about you. And then when the person beside you comes to him, he's concerned about that person. And he's concerned about the other person two rows behind you. He deals with you individually, but collectively also as he is able. Unfortunately, as laborers, we can't see that. We can't do that. We have a hard enough time dealing with ourselves. To get by the day is something that is very difficult sometimes. Our relationship with the landowner is singular. The landowner's relationship with us, although singular, can also be collective. He says to the laborer, he says, am I doing something wrong? The fact that I wish to give to the last man the same as I gave to you, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish to do with my own things? In your life, who is the law? The government of Canada, the government of Ontario, enforced by the police. But in God's world, he is the law. He established the law. He has the power to pass judgment on it. He is in control of all things. Reflect on 2 Peter 3.9. If we go to the next slide. It says that the Lord is not slacking concerning his promises. He is not willing that even one of us should perish. And he certainly sees in all of us a value. Did these laborers see a value in the other people that were working beside them? I say they did. The value was lesser, perhaps. When they started, they were all equal. But they were equal because they thought that they were working a little longer than other people. They would make a little bit more money than other people. Now when they find out that they're not, all of a sudden there's no equality. But with God, there is equal opportunity. How many times have you heard you can bring nothing to the Lord? When we bury you, we bury you. Everything else is left behind. You have nothing that the Lord wants except for your obedience and your love for Him. That's all. So you may as well throw your wallet out. It's of no use to you. You can't put the car and take it to heaven. We can probably fit it in the coffin, but that's as far as it's going to go. 
I want you to just take a moment now as we've gone through this, and you'll notice that I've asked a lot of questions, and I've given you very few answers, if any. And that's my intent this morning, because this is a parable, and it's meant for you to question the story that you see before us. If you see the story simply as the laborers see the story, that there is injustice here, that there has not been fairness, that there is no equality, then you've missed the point. And the opportunity that the Lord gives you is lost. And we don't want that. We want you to see something else. And so we ask you to question yourself. Ask the questions that I've asked. Take a moment and ask how you could apply this approach to your life today. Because that's what this is all about. Is can you make this applicable? Theoretically, all of you here have come to the Lord. You've had that second birth, that rebirth. He's given you a second chance and you've taken it. But your mandate now is to go out into the world and spread that good news to others on behalf of Jesus Christ. Can you relate to the people in this story, to their plight, to what they were going through? Are there other issues maybe that would help you see this in a different light? You know, if this was to occur today in North America or Europe, there'd be civil unrest. There'd be complaints to the Labour Board, the Ombudsman here in Ontario probably. There'd be strikes and other actions meant to get the decision changed. Surely it's not right today to pay somebody differently from another person. What happened to the minimum wage? With God, there is no minimum wage. But now I ask you to look at this same world in a different light. What would the situation be like if this occurred in Haiti, Africa, Congo, North Korea, North Vietnam, China? Would it be very different from the laborers way back when? Do these people in these countries have any more say than the laborers did way back when? I don't think so. Not much has changed. Imagine that. Not much has changed. In a way, I've just described a world of haves and have-nots. And you're the have. Now what are you going to do with that? What does Christ want you to do with what you have? I didn't ask these questions so that you would say whether it was fair or just. I'm going to leave that to you to reflect upon. What I do want you to do is realize that this is a parable. And I want you to go back and ask yourself the questions that I've asked and maybe more. Read this parable in a different light and ask yourself, what does Jesus want me to do? I have professed a love for him. I have professed to follow him. I have taken up my cross as best I can for him. What does he want me to do? Because certainly he has paid the wage. But have you done the labor? You know, think about this too. Do you want God to treat you as you deserve to be treated? 
Or would you rather that He treats you through His grace? Was it fair that we nailed Him to a cross? Ask yourself that question. And maybe these other questions will make more sense. So as we close today, we simply ask you to reflect upon what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to be a different light for the world. He wants you to show people that there is a different viewpoint to the way we need to deal with things. That we don't need to deal with things the way they were dealt with in this story or the way they are dealt with in some of these other countries that I mentioned. And that even though we are the haves here on earth, we are no different when we get to heaven. We will all be equal. A great, great message, this parable. And I I just pray that you will continue to ask questions, that you will continue to search it out. I'll ask the music team now to come up. We have a closing song, and then I'll close in prayer. Just bow in a word of prayer. Lord, you tell us in Psalms 46 to be still and know that you are Lord. We are comforted, Lord, and in awe of the parable that we have just heard about. Lord, as we look to landowners, to your son and to yourself, it is obvious that the focus is on others. Your son tells us to seek out the little children, to seek out the lame, those who are invalids, those who are weak, those who cannot do for themselves, and to love them as we love ourselves, as we love you. And it is exactly for that reason that you sent your son to earth, Because you wanted us all to have that equal opportunity, Lord, to come back to you through rebirth. Lord, I simply pray for each and every one who is here today, everyone who has an opportunity to read your word and hear this message, Lord. May they turn to you if they have not already done that. May they receive the grace that has so freely been offered by you the desire by you to have us return to the fold that you would not lose one sheep. We are your creation, Lord. There is a value to us. Perhaps we don't see that value, Lord, but you want us. You desire us. And we are so thankful that you have given us an opportunity, Lord, for hope and eternal life with you. Lord, we just pray as we go our way this day that We will be a brighter light for you that we will emulate the landowner, your son, yourself, in all that we do, that we will seek out those who are hurt, our neighbors, our friends, others, and put them on an equal pedestal and help them, Lord, to turn to you. Lord, we just thank you for all the blessings that you have given us and ask that you would go before us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.